your treats. Amen. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Entry. And it was like, it was the 
the middle of winter. It was like the whole sidewalk was ice. So like I had my boots on and I like, you know, your boots are covered in ice and snow. So it kind of makes sense that you wouldn't want to like traipse that through the house. But I don't know, there's something kind of like weird and vulnerable about taking off your shoes to enter a house that you've like never been in before. And like, you're like walking barefoot like on this tile through this house and you're like, get to the carpet part and you're like, man, is the carpet clean? I'm about to find out. <laughs> I don't know, there's something just kind of vulnerable about taking your shoes off at the door. And in fact, some people are thinking, Lord, that house rule. I don't know who they were, but um, she saw. Yeah, that saw. Oh, I have to tell this one, other, totally unrelated, but I have to tell this other weird part. There was a painting in the living room, and it was a, it was like this woman, and we weren't sure if it was the wo a painting of the woman who owned the house, or a painting of the woman who owned Yvette, a painting that she did, but it was like this woman looking up to heaven or something. And there was like these pamphlets about like the seven words of healing that you might experience while meditating on this picture. <laughs> it was very, it was strange. It was a different experience in this house, but it was also pretty awesome. Um, so I recently watched the Brene Brown Netflix uh, talk that she did, and um, does everyone know Brene Brown? Yeah. Raise your hand if you know Brene Brown. Okay, so pretty common. So Brene Brown is a, a researcher that does a lot of talks and writes books about vulnerability, and so of course she was talking about vulnerability, and she also researches shame, um, and uh, she was talking in her little Netflix thing, which I totally recommend, about her the the way that her book Daring Greatly was kind of like created, what like the seed of that was, and um, she talked about how like sometimes when she meets people in the airport, she like doesn't know like how much information to give them about like what she does when they ask, and so if she's like not in the mood to talk, she'll just be like. Um, yeah, I research shame and vulnerability. And then like, that really like shuts down the conversation quickly. But she was saying that one time, uh, this guy in an airport asked her what she did and she said, oh, well, I, um, right now I'm, I'm writing this book on, on courage and vulnerability. And the guy was like, oh, sweet. So like opposite ends of the spectrum. And she was like, no, that it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. It's, it's the same it's the same side. You're like, oh, yeah, opposite ends of the spectrum. I like, totally didn't follow her. And she she talks about, you know, when you put yourself when you put yourself out there, you know, when you're vulnerable, then you open yourself to all different kinds of things that could happen. You open yourself up to failure. You're open, you open yourself up to being hurt. You open yourself up to all kinds of possibilities and it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable in a way that you actually put yourself out there and can actually be hurt. 
And um, the quote that is kind of the spine of her book, Daring Greatly, is a Theodore Roosevelt quote, which I'm going to read for us because it's so good. And he said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So, um, since Darren Greatly is the only Brené Brown book I've read so far, and uh, Caleb can testify that I have fully integrated Darren Greatly into my life. And, um, what?
therefore, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and that endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely than now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. I was 17 when John Carey stood up and said, we are all children of God. At the 2004 presidential election debate. And I scoffed. Confident in my worldview that God was on the side of Republicans. And that only some of us are elected as children of God and that it has to do with what you do and what you believe and primarily the stance that you take on abortion. I was 19 when I stood up to my roommate and vehemently defended my actions, my rightness, that I had nothing, I had done nothing wrong, and that if she felt offended or attacked, well, that was her problem. There are two prevalent theologies. The first, humans are totally depraved. It's the I am a worm theology that requires us to earn a status by doing better, getting better, being better, by citing rightly, that often leads to a dualistic way of viewing the world, us and them, and 
ironically, a lot of self-righteousness. The second, humans are fine. It's the, I don't need to change theology that makes others tiptoe around our pride and often leads to a self-justified victim view of the world and places the blame on others' closed-mindedness. Justification sounds like an antiquated theological term, better left for seminary term papers and for the regular person. But we all know about judgment. I'm afraid that sometimes justification, when we read about it in the Bible, uh, feels more like the way that we view it in our lives, about judgment, an incessant script of judgment, an excuse machine, the miracle grow of shame, a hoop to jump through to enact violence or sociological change. And even in the church, we are so well-versed in judgment that reconciliation with God is either a separation of the good and the bad, recognizing and overcoming my weaknesses because I am a worm, and through right belief, voting, and action, I can take up the God flag and I can march it in front of those who are suffering and preach to them, you are also worms, and this is good news. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps like I did. Or reconciliation with God turns into a divine therapy session where God is only there to listen and to help me discover my truth. And this is really about my needs and my process, and I don't need to change because I just need to become theologically self-actualized. And I don't need to preach either. But if I did preach, here's what I'd say. You do you. That's the good news. Romans 5 flies in the face of much of popular Christianese ideas about God's judgment. God's judgment is neither of those, but it is love, and it's about getting this human-God relationship straight through love. It is not shame-filled to say, while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies. It's truth-filled. Because if you're alive today, you're not at fault for how humans have lived since the creation of the world. Humans are the only species that we know of that have evolved far enough to learn to say the word 
no to the created order. And this special capacity might ultimately lead to the death of our planet and all other species. And it makes me wonder and rethink some of my views on biblical end times theories, if you know what I mean. Have we inherited this no to God's created order? Yes, we have. Is it our fault? No. Regardless, the human inheritance is one of being outside of being straight and reconciled to God. So when Paul says, while we were sinners, while we were weak, while we were enemies, he is not speaking shame. This is no I am a worm theology. He is speaking about the species collective no to God's created order. Sin doesn't just exist out there, but also here. Not just in the Greeks, but in the Jews as well. Not just in the nations, but also in the people of God. Not just in the past, but in our world today, humans have inherited this no, and humans are still saying no to God. The collective no to God's created order is a mortal wound for every one of us. We have judged the world no, and are therefore receiving the judgment of the world as no. We have been judged in kind. And some of us Christians think that our justification is in our theology being correct. When it instead has everything to do with the courage of vulnerability. Daring greatly on God's love over the collective human no. Having faith that God's love has already done the work of reconciliation, that God's love has put us in tune by faith alone, that God's love has reconnected the loose wire between the collective human no and God and her created order, that the reconciliation is done. Faith is this grassroots movement of people who are chanting yes in spite of humanity's incessant no despite what it looks like, yes. Despite our suffering, yes. Despite the planetary predictions, yes. God's yes to loving us 
is able to change our no to yes. And this is not, this is not a disembodied yes. It contains every human emotion, experience, skin color, disability, and sixth sense. It contains every image of God on earth, all persons, feelings, emotions, situations, and conditions. So you do not have to leave your body at the door when you enter the church. And, you don't, and, and your brain is a part of your body. So you don't have to leave your brain at the door either when you enter the church. Okay, so I'm going to say that again. You don't have to leave your body at the door when you enter the church. And you don't have to leave your brain at the door when you enter the church. This faith, this yes to God's love is embodied. And its embodiment is something we call hope. Hope in what can be, in what will be. Faith, faith is the doorway into the house of hope. It's like if you've ever seen a drone with a video camera, and, uh, or I guess you see the video of a drone, carrying a video camera, and at first all you can see is these like little blades of grass, the, the camera on the ground, and then as the drone goes up, your perspective widens and widens and widens. This hope through faith is like seeing everything as the drone goes up and up and your perspective widens. Faith doesn't make you short-sighted. It gives you a third eye to see above and beyond the weeds. To see that we can boast in this yes because it's God's yes. We can boast in our sufferings because our sufferings don't limit God's action in the world. And they are not the full picture. So, even though... Even though my grandfather died, God's love and Christ's resurrection compels me to believe there is more than this, but it's not over. So even though I am chronically ill, God's love and Christ's healings compel me to believe that healing is not only possible, but it's God's will. So even though my children are growing up in a world of uncertainty filled with dictators and generational poverty and the opioid epidemic and bullying and racism and the active death of the planet and the extinction of the species, yet in the psalm this morning, as in the psalm this morning said, I do not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains should shake into the heart of the sea, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. 
somehow God's love gives me this ability to dare greatly. To believe in spite of all of this, that the Lord of hosts is with us, that the God of Jacob is my refuge. If faith is the door and hope is the house, then love is the house rule. You do not have to leave your body at the door when you enter the church, and you do not have to breathe, leave your brain at the door when you enter into God's family, but you do have to leave something at the door. Your judgment. It's kind of the house rule. You can't just come into God's house and traipse your icy judgment boots all over the carpet. To receive a judgment of love, you have to let go of any judgment that's not made up of love. For the whole law is summed up in a single command. The whole law is summed up in a single command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. If you are a slave to judgment, you are not a slave to love. You have to take off the shoes of judgment to enter this house. You have to be vulnerable to what this house, new house will be like, and it might be kind of strange. You have to expose your feet to the carpet and the tile, and you have to put on the new socks that are being provided for you, and it's going to feel kind of weird until you realize it's hookah, and it's also like warm and cozy and nice in this house of love. And now I'm going to invite Jason to come sing our last song. And as uh, we sing this last song, I want to invite us all into a time of prayer. And I would invite you to take whatever posture feels right. Maybe take off your shoes if you want. That's been, a, been some precedent for that being a kind of worship. Or kneel at your chair or stand up and sing. Because sometimes the hardest thing to accept is the thing that we actually desire most. That's why vulnerability is so hard. So I pray this morning that God would help you receive this love and also reveal the places of your own judgment. May we repent and be reconciled to God. <laughs>